Heavenly Father, we, we love you. And we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, as I have been praying this week, I ask that you would come in such power this morning, that your Holy Spirit would make your word alive. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would do deep work, uproot any deep pains and griefs, and bring the balm of your healing grace to bring restoration, to bring life. So we invite you, Father, send your spirit, send your word, open our hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm going to just start off with a little confession. Um, I may have been an extremely disturbed child. Um, There's probably a couple other disturbed, maybe you also were a disturbed child as well. But I always thought of death. Like anyone else when you were a kid, like I would always think of like, what's it like when you die? Like I try to picture it. Now, mind you, I wasn't, like, raised in a Christian home at all, so I had, like, no boundary points. It just went everywhere. And I literally would, like, okay, so I'm a child of the 80s, so guess what I feared? Nuclear bombs. Like, I literally would always be like, oh, my gosh, a nuclear bomb's going to happen, and my cousins who were, like, three years older, you know, just old enough where they can, like, mess with you because they have a little more information, would always, do you know how many nuclear bombs are pointed at America right now from Russia? No, I don't. Don't tell yeah, there's like 5,000, and it only takes one to destroy all. I'm like, what? Oh, my gosh. I hide under the trampoline like that's going to do anything. And so I just I always had this, like, fear of death. And then, like, my this is weird for Washington State, but my mom got into country dancing when I was 11. And so she would go, like, three or four nights a week country dancing. You know, she found a hobby. She's, I think she was 34 at that time, around my age, and she would go country dancing, and I was like 11, and we lived on a hill that had family, and so I would stay home with my little brother, and I would literally convince myself every night that my mom had died in a car accident, and I would like feel the feeling as if she had died, and I would shake, and I would go to sleep (sighs) hyperventilating. Did anyone else do this at all? Am I the only? There's a couple others. I'm like, Man, I really, it was like completely neurotic. Now, you may not be as neurotic as I was as a child, but I mean, all of us have thought of death. All of us have watched a loved one breathe their last breath either in our presence or we saw their bodies being lowered into the earth and the dirt hitting their casket. We all have looked at our own bodies and maybe felt a pain, maybe felt a lump or felt something where all of a sudden instantly we're like, whoa, this could be it. We've all had someone extremely close to us have a medical issue and death becomes the number one thing in our mind. See, it doesn't matter how healthy you are. Like at some point the body will break down. And it's interesting as Americans, what we do, the moment we start noticing our body's age is we run to the plastic surgeon. We're like, oh, I see a wrinkle. Oh my gosh, this cannot be a wrinkle. I'm going to go and get cut. Or um, Botox. Don't worry, if you're using Botox, we know because you will not stop smiling. It's like you don't have a choice. Like it's, you're stuck, right? And that's what we do as Americans. We like to f- just sweep death to the side. Right? We don't want to think about it. We don't want to actually confront the reality that everyone we love and everyone we know, we will watch die. Or they will watch us die. It's a reality. It's just as real as birth. It's 
just a part of life as when we see that sweet little baby come out like, yay, death also is a part of that life. So it doesn't matter if you're the healthiest and most fittest person in this room, which is obviously Tom Masterson. (laughs) You will one day die. And we fight against this reality with everything within us. And why is that? Is because we were not actually created to die. Newsflash, we were not created to die. Like that is alien for you because when God made you, he said it was very good. God made the earth. He said it's good. God made man and woman. He said it's very good. And we're meant to live forever. And you guys know what happened because obviously your pastor preaches out of the Bible sometimes. I mean, usually you go through Joe Olstein, best life now. But then sometimes you bring the Bible out. Sometimes. Yeah, so you should see, yeah, you should see the book he's working on. Yeah, it's great. So, so when we chose to take creation, try me here, God gave us creation as a gift. We get to eat its fruit. We get to make space for life to flourish. We get to commune with God. Adam and Eve were in the garden, walking with God, communing with God. Creation is a blessing. But we took that blessing and we used it as a means to an end. The end was to be like God. We ate, we ate the fruit, Adam and Eve. They chose to eat the fruit. They chose to use creation as a means to an end. And then they tried to hide themselves with a fig tree, fig, fig leaf. And you know what? We have not stopped since. We now try to cover. We use the things of creation. We use created things. We use shiny objects and we try to hide and we've been doing it. It's, it's something that's, that's been happening since the beginning. So how do we deal with all of this? How do we deal with death? We're going to go through a couple of verses here written by the Apostle Paul. Um, this is Second Corinthians. Um, just for a little context, I'm going to read Romans um, 8, 18 through 23, kind of an audible. I know I didn't tell your person, but I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to go right into Corinthians. If you have your Bibles... <clears throat> Go ahead and turn to Romans 8, 18 to 23. (coughs) For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, excuse me, not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected in futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now we'll go to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 5. This letter was written about a year after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. It was about a year before he wrote the book of Romans, and he's in Macedonia. Um, At this time, some teachers had come into uh, Corinth and were casting doubt about him. Um, specifically, if he's such a spirit-filled apostle, why is he suffering? Why is he suffering so much? He, I don't know. I don't know if he's an apostle. He's suffering too much. Okay? And so that's kind of some of the context that's going on. So let's read this together. <clears throat> For we know 
that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. <clears throat> if indeed by putting it on we may be found, <clears throat> we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So Paul is using, I kind of broke it down with the kid, the kids, he is referring to our life here on earth as living in a tent, a temporary structure. This would have been very familiar to Paul. He was a tent maker. So when you're having your house built, your permanent home, you get a tent that you live in before the house is made. It's kind of like Jim and Linda are in a way doing the modern version of that. Like you're living in an RV, right? Now that's not as, I'm just going to say, you're not as hardcore as they were. I'm just an RV compared to a tent. It's not really apple to apple, but you get the gist of it, right? It's not as convenient as your nice home that you're selling, right? I mean, it's probably less room to, I mean, you don't have to clean as much. But it's not, it's, it's temporary. It's not meant to be the end-all be-all. And like our bodies here on earth are not the end. Like we're not just created for life on earth. It's only temporary. But what happens is we put so much stock on the here and now, on our physical bodies, on our health, that we make this the end. And what happens when our temporary life here on earth, when our life in this tent becomes our anchor, our end goal, we freak out when anything happens. Now all of a sudden, everything that happens here on earth is of utmost importance. Every little thing that goes wrong, not just with our health, but in life, we freak out because we think this is all there is. And we're not anchored to heaven. And so you have kind of like two options here. Like you have the dualist option, which a lot of fundamentalists do. Um, and that's where they would say all creation is just bad. It's just evil. Stay away from it. Like this is only our passing. You're just a nomad here on earth. So don't get attached to anything. Don't enjoy anything. Don't enjoy a nice house or a pretty wife or handsome husband. Like Tom. Kathy's not a handsome husband, Tom. Oh, okay. I'm like, confusion. Um, right? And so they would say everything that is created and physical is evil. Therefore, shun it and only focus on the spiritual aspect of life. And that is a false dichotomy. That is a false teaching. So we're not saying that. What we're saying is because this life is temporary, we need to anchor to what is not, what is eternal. What's eternal? We actually have a dwelling in heaven that God has already prepared for us, a building not made with human hands, but that God has made a resurrected body that one day these temporal bodies, when we die or when Jesus comes back, I think everyone would like option two a little better. I think even Paul, he wanted the, the Prusa, he wanted the second coming to happen. And you can see it in some of his letters. He was really hoping that Christ would come the second coming and that he would just be like the verse that we read earlier, transformed. I mean, who would prefer death? Anyone? You want death over second coming? Okay. So, Linda, we need to talk about this. This is, I didn't know that you were into death metal and gothic. Like, that's, there's some people that do. Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, all of us would prefer to have our bodies transferred in an instant into our resurrected body. Here's the good news. That is, ju- that is more of a reality that we cannot see than the reality we can see now. And we can anchor our hearts to heaven. That it doesn't matter how bad it gets here on earth. It doesn't matter how much pain we feel in these physical bodies. It doesn't matter how much grief we go through. How many loved ones we watch go into the ground. That this is only temporary. He says, and Paul says in 4, that this, this, this affliction, this light affliction does not compare to the weight of glory that God has waiting for us. Amen? And so when that is an anchor, and your life is an anchor, then when your life is anchored in eternity, life on earth is a lot more stable. I would like my son to come here real quick. Let's say that this beautiful blue yarn, I'm sorry for whatever sweater has been sacrificed, and let me use this, how do you say, pebbly, pebby, pebby? Raise your hand. That's Ashley. Okay. The person who donated this is a saint. Thank you. This right now, for the moment, is going to represent life. This, this string right here is your life. Okay? You guys done the, is your life. Go ahead. And let's just say that this represents years. Go ahead and take, yeah, you take the whole thing. There you go. This represents the totality of your life. It just, you know, you have your, your little baby right here. You came out right here, little baby. And then just as it goes, look at timing. Keep going. And now let's just use our imagination. Go and close the door. Nope, son, you got it. You're going to space now. Close the door. There you go. And now just pretend with me. Look, everyone look. And pretend with me that this yarn is just like going outside of San Antonio. It's going through Austin. It just smacked a little hippie in the face. Like, okay. And it's going. It's going up to Washington. And now it's just like taking off. And going out to space, and it is going through the universe, and it's far, far away. Okay? And that's your life, going into eternity. Now, who has the knife here? Thank you, I knew I was... Can you just do me a favor? Will you just cut that right there? Let's say right about here. So this is your life. This is what happened when, when you died. Okay? This is your life on earth. It's like this little, so you see this long, you think about your life going out into eternity. Malachi's back from space. Everyone say hi. Awesome. And you think of your life that goes on for eternity, that literally God has for you where you have no pain and you're with God in glory. The part that we're so freaked out about right now is like this. The part that we're just like, we're trying to, you know, get fig leaves and hide ourselves. We're trying to, oh, is this right here. If we put it in perspective, it's like God has you. God has you. The, the majority of the journey is not even going to be here on earth. This is the small portion of it. And this is representative of your life on earth. See, we need to properly order our affections so that above everything, we long for communion with Jesus. We long to encounter God in a beautiful sunset we actually sense God's presence as we take a sip of delicious coffee or a breakfast taco. We had a little, we had a little uh, mishap this morning. Taco Cabanas. We're, pr- we're praying to forgive them. I'm, I'm um, 
God did not make me as genetically awesome as these guys, so I can't eat flour. It jacks me up. And so we went and got tacos, or Tom did actually, and they gave him all flour, so we had to forgive him. But if it was corn taco, I can experience God while eating this amazing breakfast taco. <laughs> right? I can just experience it. I can experience it as like, we're going camping for a month and a half. Like, I'm going to be preaching at some other churches on the southwest and the west coast, and, and we're going to be doing road schooling with our family, and I can experience God even during a storm, and, and I can see his glory in life because, remember, creation, back to the beginning, was meant as a place for communion with God. It's like we have this short time here, and we commune with God, and we encounter him. Now, in vo- verse 2, Paul says that we groan. And when we look at this word groaning, he's not just talking about because he's afflicted or he's in pain. He's saying that his desire for Jesus and his desire for heaven is so strong that he can't wait to shed this earthly body, this tent, this temporary existence, and to be with him in heaven. He says this all throughout his epistles. He longs for Jesus so much that he can't, it's a groaning. And I have like two questions around that. Do we, and this is not like a Baptist guilt question, like just stir yourself up. You just need to do more. It's because you need to do more devotions. You need to up your prayer life. No. But the question is, has the affections of your heart been so ordered on earth that the thought of longing for Jesus in a way where you groan is so foreign to you? It's like, whoa, he just lost me with that one. Have we set our minds and our hearts so much on everything on earth, on the next vacation, on the next event, on the next distraction that we could find to make us, like, distract us from life and the eventual destruction of our bodies that the thought of longing for Jesus is is alien and foreign? Guess what? The Spirit of God can so work that in us where we long for Jesus where our anchor is in heaven and our groaning is for Jesus. And therefore, everything else on earth is thrown in as a blessing. Seek first the kingdom, and what? All these things will be added unto you. Now you're free to engage in life, as I said earlier, under the blessing of God. Because your affections have been rightly ordered. You're not taking a good thing and making it God. Right? I think we talked about this last time I preached here. I think I hit for a second idols. And that's where we take something that God made to be a blessing. Let's say a relationship, let's say children, let's say a house, a career, and we make that the ultimate thing. We make that the number one thing. We make that the thing that everything else in our life revolves around, including God. It's like, well, we'll kind of fit it in. As long as it's going to help me serve my career, then Jesus is my homeboy. But the moment he hinders my career or actually tells me to die to that and find my value in him and, and, and do something else... Yeah, well, Jesus, I really like what you're t- talking about. Maybe, maybe not. Okay? So we rightly order our affections for Jesus, and we encounter his grace here on earth. C.S. Lewis has a quote that um, I kind of always go back to. Um, <clears throat> and it, the context of this quote is I think that many times we misinterpret that groaning. So we're in life, and we, we feel this. We know that, like, this isn't right. Like, it's like I'm in a movie that's going a little wrong. Like, everything's fine. Who's ever been where, like, life is actually going really good. Bills are paid. You know? Everyone in the family's healthy. 
But like something still is just completely off. Who's ever been there? It's just like, wow, like I'm, everything is happening that should be happening for me to be like, you know, if I believe any of the commercials on TV, right, I have this life that I should just be like, high life, this is great. And I'm, I'm not, and something's wrong. Something's, something's not clicking. I think part of that is because we've been sold a lie. When you think about it, what, what, what is all of media and all of advertising? It's taking what happened in the garden, using creation as a means to an end, and selling that to you. Oh, you know what you need? You need, oh, you're a little overweight? Here's a pill, take it. Then you're going to be like the girl at the bikini with all the guys that are around her, and you're going to be happy. Right? Oh, you know what you need? You need that new RV. You need a vacation. You need this style of clothes with this label, etc., etc. We're constantly sold it. And it never satisfies. So we're longing for all these things and it doesn't work. Right? Who's ever had that feeling where you got the new job and you're like, finally, with that pay and with what I'm going to be doing, life's finally going to click. It's finally going to start working. Right? Or you get in that amazing relationship. I'm like, I'm so, like Heidi and I probably have a better marriage than everyone in here. I'm just joking. But like we have an amazing marriage. Like I would not trade it for anyone's. Like she is like the love of my life. Like intellectually, spiritually, everything, just amazing. And we think that, especially before you're married, oh, once I find my spouse, the girl God has for me, praise God, everything is going to be fine because, you know, because you know, you'd finally do that, you know. That just quoted I did not say it, Reverend Tom. I'm just saying, like you think, oh, I finally have that relationship. Everything's finally good. Yes. And, and then, oh, it's, it, it's not, didn't work. You get the new shiny object. It arrives in the amazing Amazon package, which is my favorite thing in the world. When I hear something at my door and then there's a box, I'm like, yes, it's usually a book or something. And I get really excited. But we all know it never, it never lasts. It never does. The best vacation always ends. You go to Hawaii for two weeks, and guess what? You come back. So how do we struggle with this? C.S. Lewis says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or an echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. See, it's only as we realize that all of these things, they're not bad, but they're only meant to arouse us to our real passions, our real affections that can only be satisfied by Jesus and by the inbreaking of his kingdom here now on earth. We're not just waiting. That's part of it. But we're participating with his kingdom and his life. 
Like we're literally going to the broken and the hurting and bringing the kingdom. Right? We're seeing the sick and we're praying for their healing. We're, we want the power of heaven. We want the kingdom, the eternal home we have to actually come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Otherwise, we're just spinning circles in suburbia. That's it. Just waiting for our turn to get off the planet. But God has you here for a reason. And that's to bring his kingdom and to lean in by the Holy Spirit to encounter the power of an age to come. Amen? Y'all can do a little hooting in this Presbyterian church. I know it's not... Can I get a little, Mark, a little hoot? Thank you. Silent over it. Come on, get a little hoot. Thank you. Yeah. I just need the hanky next. Not for me, but a little wave. If you could do that, that'd be great. So, so lastly, we see in 2 Corinthians 5.5, 5, it says, He who prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I remember one time I was talking to a pastor friend in, in Washington, and <clears throat> we are talking about how um, I think I was dealing with some sort of fear of, of Heidi or kids or family member like dying. Like I said, I'm still a little messed up. And, um, and this is probably about five or six years ago. And, and, um, he goes, man, you know what? I always feared my brother dying because my brother and I were like this our whole lives, really close, close in age. And he's, he's probably like 58. Um, he goes, you know, and last, last year he died, like pretty just out of nowhere died. He's like, here's the thing. God gave me so much grace for that in that moment. He goes, God doesn't give you grace for the moment before you get to the moment. Like, you can't think of, oh, well, could I be a martyr in your own thoughts right now? Because you don't have the grace for that moment that the martyrs have. Like, you can't think of, could I go through this situation? And I know as I'm looking in people's eyes that there are people in here who have been through things that would make me whimper and fall under a table. And you made it through, and God gave you grace, and you could never have imagined that you would have the grace you did when you went through it. Amen? Right? And that's what he said to me. You don't fear because you know God is going to give you the grace when you go through it. And, like, I just got to experience that. So, like, my, my mom, I was raised by a single mom, and she's an amazing single mom. Not a crazy single mom like M&M's and Eighth Mile. I mean, this is a good single mom, okay? She's a good woman. And we were really, 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 we were really close in a healthy way, though. Not in a, like, unhealthy way. I, I'd leave and cleaved. You know, I did that healthy. <laughs> she is, like, best friends with my wife. That was, like, a miracle when your mom is best friends with your wife. I mean, mother-in-law, that's pretty awesome. Like, I'd even said a number of times, like, wow, she's, like, more of a mom than, my, than her own mom. And that's, like, pretty intense. Hope this isn't being recorded. Um, Lighter, that was a metaphor. Um, and she's just one of those, like, she is just a real, authentic, loving person. Like, we'd probably talk every couple weeks, really close. And uh, about two weeks ago, she died. She just died. Not sick. Um, I, I don't want to go into details. It was horrific, though. Um, and it, 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 yeah, it was really, so I get a call. We're watching a movie. And it's her husband. And I could tell, you know, when you, you've had the call where you get the, you just know from the moment you answer the phone, like something's not right. And it's like, you know, Jonathan, you know, sit down. That's like the first sign. You're like, so 
little tip. When you go to tell someone something, don't say sit down. Just assume that they're probably going to be, like, not falling over. Um, and they said, Jonathan, your mom is, um, your mom is dead. You're dead. She's dead. She's hit a tree going triple-digit speeds. And uh, it was like, oh, like, instantly Heidi could ascertain what was going on. She starts crying. The kids are probably like, what the heck is going on? These parents are crying. And um, we, we told them they, they were crying. It was horrific. Like, I could never, if you remember back to my analogy, imagine, like, my mom not being there. Here's the thing, and this is not a cliche at all. I have been surprised by the way God has met me with his presence and his grace in ways that I can't even explain. Like, yeah, like I said to someone, I thought that I'd be in the fetal position with a bottle of whiskey. Like, that's what I thought I would, but I wasn't. And he's gracious. And so it says here that he who's prepared us for this very thing is God and has given us a spirit as a guarantee. Your transition from your earthly home to your eternal home, God is literally your loving Heavenly Father. Think of the love you have for your children, fathers. Even more than that, your loving Heavenly Father has prepared you for that very thing, that transition. So is that something to be feared? Resounding no should be the answer. Is that something to be feared? No, because your Father has you, and He's prepared you, and He has you. And He's given you the Spirit as a guarantee. Another translation says, as a deposit. So remember, this life is short. It's temporary. But God has given us His Spirit as a deposit, as a foretaste of the kingdom to come. That we can lean into in the midst of the trials and the pain and experience grace in His presence in situations that we would never think that it would be there at all. But here's the good news. We get to take that experience and share it with others. Had I not known that my mother, side story two years ago, she became a Christian, praise God. Before we went down to Brownsville, we stayed with her for about three weeks. And we were doing, uh, we do family liturgy. And we invited her to come do it with us. And like the third day, she's like, oh my gosh. Like, God is real. Like he, as I'm doing these prayers, I just, I and we talked about grace and Jesus. So that's the cool thing. He prepared me for that. Like, I'm not someone who just puts the little label that everyone's going to heaven. Like, I'm sorry, people, not everyone's going to heaven. And some, like, some family members go to hell. And that sucks. But it's the truth. And so I wouldn't have been able to just easily, well, hopefully she's in heaven with the good Lord, you know. But he graciously did that. Here's the thing. We're on earth now. We believe salvation comes from God alone. We don't believe we could turn anyone into a Christian. But while we're here, we share that taste of the kingdom that we have. We work to bring that kingdom for you guys here in San Antonio to broken families. Who those? I mean, guess what? How many thousands of families do you think are going to go through mind-blowing loss this next year here in San Antonio? How many car accidents do you think are going to happen where a mother of three children is killed like that? It's going to happen. Yeah. How many cancer diagnoses? Diagnosis is going to happen this year in San Antonio. Probably a lot, right? How many children are watched their parent die early? But guess what? God has not left them without a witness. It's you. And he's not left you without the power to do that. It's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you to work to bring that kingdom here to San Antonio so that they can experience the same grace that I'm experiencing, that you've experienced when you've gone through it in the midst of their personal hell. 
and they can see that their anchor goes now to eternity, not just here to earth. Amen? If you look at the ultimate switch, like Jesus did it the other way. Like he already lived in heaven in the perfect relationship of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the most perfect relationship there ever was. And he chose to leave glory and paradise and sinlessness and no pain. And he chose to put on an earthly tent to incarnate, to wrap himself in flesh and to come and live with us. He came to to come and shout beside us and suffer and feel the pain. But even more than that, he came to live the life that we could never live. To completely fulfill the law that we could never do. And he did that. And at last, through suffering, through fulfilling the law, through living the perfect life, he then did the ultimate act of dying on the cross and taking every sin you would ever commit and bearing it on his body. And then he died the ultimate death for all of our sins, for our separation. And he took it and then, praise God, he died and he was resurrected. And at that moment, your eternal life was made a reality. Praise God. As we lean into what Jesus did, that he took our sin, that he freely loved us, that he chose us before he even made the earth apart from anything that we have done. He didn't go, well, Jason, you seem like a swell young man. You did Boy Scouts as a kid. You say please and thank you. You open doors for people. You don't watch R-rated movies. I think you can come to heaven. You've paid your taxes. You voted Republican. Good for you. I'm not again. I don't just don't even get on that subject. Oh my gosh. Can we have a good libertarian option, please? No, just uh, sorry. That was a bad digression. Like oh, so so Jason, you you I saw that you would make this choice. That you would be at youth camp and go the sawdust trail and accept Jesus. Hallelujah. No, no. That's not it. Jesus says, you were dead in sin. You had no chance of coming to me at all. And I graciously chose you, called you by my spirit, saved you, and then sealed you. Praise God. In that, we can rejoice. Amen? In the sealing of the Holy Spirit that we have, the taste of the kingdom to come, we can rejoice. And we can take that... Two, wow, I thought that was, did someone just do a glory yell? Or am I here in heaven? Was that you, Tom? Did you say glory? Oh, dang it. Man. And so God graciously prepares us. And some of us are being prepared right now with this very message. But guess what? That would have sent doom into my brain previously. But you don't. Everything that comes in our path has been graciously passed through the hand of the Father and allowed for His glory and for your good. So you don't have to wait for the shoe to drop because God is holding that shoe. And He's holding you and He has us. Amen? So, Father, we thank You that You're a good Heavenly Father, that You are sovereign, that You are in control, that our days are already in Your hand. You know You know when the piece of yarn of our life is going to be cut. You hold it, and you love us, and you graciously prepare us for that. Lord, I ask that even right now, you would send your Holy Spirit to bring the reality of heaven to your people here, to burn eternity, O God, on our eyelids, and that we would live our time here on earth 
in deep relationship, encountering you in creation, communing with you through what you've made and through worship, increasing that deposit as we take the, hear the word, as we take the sacraments. Lord, we need you, and we pray that you would bring your healing balm to our hearts, you would settle our minds, and you would strengthen us. And we just yield to you in Christ's name. Amen.